Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath joins us to talk about Thursday's election. Another blistering report slams the Canadian Armed Forces. Will the freeze on the sale of handguns help curb gun violence in Canada? Are you feeling amid the first heat wave of the year? We have a cool story about a man in Hamilton who's lending out his canoe. And revenge travel is real and more and more people are doing it. Find out why when you check out the GMH podcast, which starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. People know that there's a lot at stake in this election uh, and getting out to vote to make sure that your voice is heard is a is a, a spectacular thing and i'm i'm uh, i'm grateful that people are taking this election seriously that is the voice of ontario ndp leader andrea horvath mpp for hamilton center thursday's election fast approaching just a couple more sleeps before we head to the polls beginning at 9 a.m on thursday they close at 9 chml's election coverage thursday begins at 6 p.m and ontario ndp leader andrea horvath joins us now on good morning hamilton andrea good morning how are you I'm really great, thanks, Rick. How are you? I'm good. There's, uh, as I mentioned, a couple of days left in this campaign. How are you feeling? Are you feeling the rigors of campaigning? Well, there's no doubt it's a busy time, but uh, every single day I meet fantastic people around this province who are ready to show Doug Ford the door and fix our health care system, and that makes me uh, very excited about the possibilities for Thursday. As we know, this election isn't your first rodeo. Uh, we know campaigning is tough. Does it does it take a lot out of you? At the end of the day, are you exhausted? Is this is this a tiring uh, venture? Well, uh, there, you know what? There's there's no doubt that uh, that it's uh, physically um, demanding. You know, you but you go to bed early and you wake up early. And as I said, uh, when I when I'm out on the campaign trail visiting communities around Ontario right now, I'm in Ottawa. Um, it's it, it's invigorating. It's it, it, there's a there's a great amount of energy that comes from everyday Ontarians who know that we don't have to keep going back and forth between Liberals and Conservatives and continue to see life get harder and our most treasured services continue to be cut. And that's that's what we're facing this time: big cuts to healthcare. Uh, and people people just know that our hospitals are in bad shape. We need more nurses. We need more PSWs. We need a party that's going to invest in healthcare, And that's what we offer. Uh, we have to stop the cuts. We have to stop conservative cuts because they'll just hurt people more. There's been a few opinion polls as we approach voting day, um, listing the NDP either second or third in the race. What do you make of these opinion polls? Well, I, I think um, the most important poll is the one that comes on Thursday. And, and there is absolutely a lot at stake in, in this election. We can't trust the Liberals who broke most of the things that need to be fixed uh, to fix them. Uh, and we know that uh, Conservative cuts just make things worse. And so as we get to Election Day, I'm just saying to the people of Ontario, if you want to stop the cuts, if you wanted to defeat Doug Ford this time and not let him have a chance at making life even harder, because we know how hard it's got even over the last four years since he's been in office, uh, then, then we have to come together. We have to come together behind the NDP this time, uh, because we are the party that can defeat Doug Ford. We're strong, uh, we're ready, uh, and we can start to fix the things that matter most to people the minute we get elected. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is the leader of the Ontario NDP, Andrea Horvath, hoping for your votes on Thursday as the polls open at 9, close at 9. CHML's election coverage will begin at 6 p.m. on Thursday. How much has this election campaign been about beating the PCs and the Liberals. It's almost as if you're fighting two battles. 
Uh, in fact, it's about neither of those things. It's about letting the people of Ontario know that there's hope. Uh, there's hope that young people can dream, uh, can, can get back to their dreams of actually owning their own home. Uh, there's hope that tenants don't have to worry about being renovicted and ending up on the street. There's hope that our kids, our children's hospitals can be funded and, uh, and staffed in a way that support our kids. Uh, there's hope that our school repair backlog can be fixed. There's hope that young people particularly, but every Ontarian that needs mental health care will get that mental health care with their OHIP card, as well as dental care and prescription drugs. These are things we can do. We can do these things together, and that's what this election's about for me. It's not about Mr. Ford, and it's really not about Mr. Del Duca. It's about you. It's about your family. It's about seniors and making sure seniors' care uh, is fixed because we know that they deserve so much better than what the Canadian Armed Forces showed everybody what was happening in long-term care. We need more home care, keep people in their homes longer, uh, and, and provide the support services they need, and yes, fix our long-term care homes, get the profits out and the, and the care back in. Those are the things that drive me, Rick. These are the things I know that we can do together. So it's not, for me, it's not a, a, the idea of a pitched political battle. It's a battle for the future of Ontario and making sure that people in this province have hope again, that the things that we treasure can be fixed and that, and that people have, uh, have an affordability of everyday life. Everyday people should be able to afford everyday life in this province. So getting auto insurance down, get, outlawing gouging at the gas pumps. I know there's some ads going on that we're going to raise gas prices. That is not the case. We're the only party that's going to take on big oil and gas. Uh, and, and cap our gas prices at the pump. These are the things that will make a difference for people. If you don't have to pay out of your pocket uh, for your for your dental care or your kids' fillings, that makes a big difference. If you don't have to pay out of your pocket uh, and you actually have access to the mental health services you need, uh, it will really make a difference because we know mental health pain is as serious as physical health pain, and we need to take take that. Uh, you know, we need to take that to the next level and, and get people access through their OHIP cards. I've talked to too many parents, too many young people who are really hurting and, and they need support. Andrea, it's always nice catching up with you. Good luck on Thursday and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks so much, Rick. Have a great day. You too. That's Andrea Horvath, leader of the Ontario NDP. And again, CHML's election coverage on Thursday will begin full bore at 6 p.m., uh, in fact, we'll go commercial-free at 9 to bring you all the results from across the province. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Meaningful change will rest on the political will and the determination of civilians who oversee the Canadian Armed Forces. Still, it will not happen without the support of CAF leaders and ultimately without the goodwill of all its members who are every day entrusted with the duty to protect our country and who do so on our behalf. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. That is retired Supreme Court Justice Louise Arbour, who has released a highly anticipated report into the culture of the Canadian Armed Forces. And it basically says the military is a broken system and maybe even more concerning is that it poses a liability for this country. Stephen Sademan is the Patterson Chair in International Affairs at Carleton University's Norman Patterson School of International Affairs and is also the Director of the Canadian Defence and Security Network and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Stephen, good morning. How are you? 
Good morning, Rick. Uh, this report, not a good look again for the Canadian Armed Forces, but um, other than the military being a liability, I didn't hear any surprises in this report. What, if anything, stuck out to you? Well, I wouldn't quite quote that the military is a liability. I would say that it's, uh, its culture uh, limits what the military can do or what it should be. Um, I guess uh, there wasn't a lot of surprises because this is not the first review. This is something that... Uh, uh, Justice Arbor mentioned uh, quite specifically. Um, I think people will be surprised by the discussion about the possibility of closing down the Royal Military Colleges. I think people inside the military might be opposed to it or might be concerned about it, but they're probably not fr surprised by it because it's been very clear for quite some time that uh, the Royal Military Colleges are not just a place where some people engage in sexual misconduct. It's a place where a lot of the problems within the military start that we don't have a bad apple problem. We have a bad apple treatment problem, which is that that we have entire generations of, uh, or not entire generations, we have lots of individuals who leave there uh, with, with the wrong attitude, uh, an attitude about entitlement, which then leads to abuse of power. So, so I think that's, that's one of the big deals. Yeah, as opposed to closing uh, the RMC, why not just fix it? Or is it too hard? Well, there, that's a big question. So that's something that Anand committed to was not closing it, but looking at it seriously, because to close it would mean you'd have to radically alter how you recruit and train officers, since that's the primary way which we get the officers, not the enlisted people, but the, the officers of the, of the military. So it'd be a huge change. But one of the challenges is how much of this is because of the very nature of this process, where you take these people, you uh, separate them out from society, which curse for the military for their entire lives, but you take them when they're 18 and they have an entirely separate experience and a largely male, largely white dominated experience. And that then makes a mark on them. If they go to civilian universities where they do uh, officer training at various programs attached to uh, civilian universities, then they get a more a fuller uh, educational experience and, uh, and uh, a widening of exper perspective experience. I don't know about you, but I know that when I went to university, that blew my mind in a variety of ways because I was meeting people who were very different from myself. I was been exposed to, to all different kinds of political, social, economic uh, perspectives and people from different backgrounds. And that changed how I looked at the world. And one of the challenges of, of sending everybody to a Royal Military College is it's, it's limiting. It limits your perspective. And so is that can we get that broadening perspective without closing the schools? Um, uh, we've had a number of stories about stuff that's happened at the Royal Military College when they've tried to do things differently. Uh, if you follow Julia Lawn's Twitter uh, stream, she's a, what she, one thing she does is train people in sexual harassment. And when she was there, she was sexually harassed. So we send people to train people, you know, we send people to help the Royal Military College be better. And those people get abused and harassed. That says something about the institution. Uh, that entire story was awful. And there are other, other stories that are awful as well. I'm not sure that is the only thing that we should be focusing on, but I think it's one of the things that's going to get a lot of attention. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Stephen Sabin, Patterson Chair in International Affairs at Carleton University's Norman Patterson School of International Affairs and Director of the Canadian Defence and Security Network, also the author of the book For Kin or Country, Xenophobia, Nationalism and War. Uh, Defense Minister Anita Anand yesterday said, unlike similar previous reports, this one's not going to sit on a shelf. Do you believe her? 
I do believe her. And uh, first of all, this is very tough. All the, I, I think a lot of the people in the past reviews going back, you know, years and years, and years, many of them involved were sincere, but there's some things here that are different. One is Anita Anand. She's a corporate lawyer and a law professor. And so she has a different attitude about uh, this kind of stuff and has a good background in corporate governance. So I think she uh, she's the right person at the right time. I think the second thing is, is that often when these kinds of efforts happen, people with the military resist. And that's not happened for a couple of reasons. One is I think uh, the chief of defense staff, Wayne Ayer, is sincere about trying to implement this stuff. And the second is the military is thoroughly discredited that the past year of having multiple senior officers uh, be revealed for uh, folks who have engaged in sexual misconduct, for, for folks who have engaged in abuse of power, it's going to be very hard for any politician to say, you know, I'm going to stand with these people who are opposing uh, the proper treatment of of not just women, but everybody in the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, I just don't think that people who resist are going to have a lot of allies outside uh, the CAF. Um, and I think the media is going to be on top of this. So I think I think that those situations are very, very different than it used to be. Um, and I think it's the culmination of a lot of things going on you know, for decades. We now have more women serving at the higher rank. So it's not just a token thing where we're just putting women in, in a spot. It's that we have highly qualified women who've served in a lot of different places who have lots of good experience. So we have the vice chief is Francis Allen, the chief of the professional conduct and culture command. Uh, Jenny Carignol has a, a wide range of experience. Um, so it's no longer just asking a handful of, of white dudes to, to uh, do this stuff. It's now a more diverse leadership group. And again, I think the, the context is very, very clear that the military is facing a recruitment crisis. It's down something like 7,000 or 10,000 troops because of partly the pandemic, but partly because it's it's hard to recruit people when you're when people know that their chances of being abused when within the military is is not insignificant. And so AIR has referred to this as an existential crisis, this, this crisis of confidence in the military, which is affecting whether the military can actually field a big enough military. It's great discussion and great analysis from Stephen Sabin. Stephen, thank you for your time today. My pleasure, Rick. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. Now that is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announcing that the federal Liberals have tabled gun control legislation that includes, as he mentioned, a national freeze on importing, buying, or selling handguns in this country. And the bill would also take away gun licenses from people involved in acts of domestic violence uh, or criminal harassments, such as stalking. The question is, will this make an impact when it comes to curbing gun violence in this country. Tracy Wilson is the VP of Public Relations at the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Tracy, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Well, I've had better mornings, that's for sure. (laughs) I think I know how you're going to react to what is going on, but I'll ask you anyways. What is your reaction to the Liberals' announcement? Well, you know, as a mom and a grandma, forget about being a gun owner, but just as a regular Canadian, I wish this Liberal government would put as much effort into reducing crime violence and gun smuggling as they do into reducing legal gun ownership. 
So the government plans to fight gun smuggling and trafficking by increasing criminal penalties. We know about this freeze or this proposed freeze on importing, buying or selling handguns. Is it yeah. going to work? Well, no, because it only applies to legal legal handguns that are owned by licensed RCMP vetted gun owners. They're only permitted to be used at RCMP approved ranges. So unfortunately, it doesn't focus on the handguns that are the source of, of crime and violence that we see in the streets across Canada. So what so, should what should legislators be doing? What should they be focusing on? Well, I mean, the you know, the investments in the RCMP and the and CBSA, those are great. Um, we actually need a lot more of that. Recently, in the Public Safety Standing Committee study on gun violence, we found out that there's a zero percent capacity to um, investigate uh, via rail or, you know, trail uh, train cars coming into the country. So you've got a direct pipeline from the United States right up through Manitoba into the north that not one rail car is is uh, examined by law enforcement or uh, uh, via rail officials. So, you know, we know there's all kinds of ways that criminals are smuggling guns in. They're using drones. They're driving them across the border. You can throw them across the border. And I think, you know, a focus on that would have a far better public safety net benefit than focusing on the people who aren't committing the crimes. Tracy Wilson is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Tracy is the VP of Public Relations for the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. And we're talking about this um, gun control legislation that was announced yesterday by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and uh, Marco Mendicino um, regarding a freeze on uh, handguns in this country. Marco Mendicino is the public safety minister. We know that the number of registered handguns in Canada increased by 71% between 2010 and 2020. There's about 1.1 million of them in this country. This legislation, if passed, doesn't take effect until the fall. Do you expect a rush of people to go out and, and get their handguns while they can? Absolutely. I actually just spoke to a retailer in Cambridge, Ontario, uh, Select Shooting Supplies. They were at the store until midnight last night uh, working and selling guns, and this morning... Uh, there's lineups like this is this is what happens i mean uh, this is a generational freeze so basically our generation if this passes would be the last generation to own handguns so now they've they've of course sparked panic buying i mean at the end of the day it doesn't really matter legal handguns aren't a public safety issue in canada um but again i think you know you've got gangbangers and Toronto and Surrey and all across the country just kind of giggling that this this doesn't affect them at all, right? And, I, and that concerns me. If passed, the maximum penalties for those who are caught in a crime with a gun is going to increase from 10 to 14. Is that any sort of deterrent? Well, I mean, right now, the, the maximum penalty is 10 years and nobody's receiving that anyways. So to think that they're going to receive 14, you know, when you've, when you've removed the minimum penalty... Um, increasing the maximum doesn't matter. Police do a really good job of, of catching bad guys when they can. But of course, the the legal system just turns them right back out into the street. So, uh, I mean, it, it's it's a very political move. It, it looks nice, but they're not receiving the 10 years, let alone 14. Now, I myself am not a gun guy. I've never held a gun. I've never come across someone with a gun. Thankfully, many of our listeners, I would assume, would be in the same boat. What's the appeal of having a gun? Help me understand why people want a gun. Well, first of all, you and I need a range day. But, <laughs> <laughs> but second of all, like, look, I'm a 50-year-old um, grandma living in the suburbs. 
I own three handguns. I own two AR-15s. For me, it started as a, a an interest in hunting. I hunted uh, with my ex-husband and I really loved it. And then I realized there's a whole other sport to it out there. And of course, along with that sport comes an entire community, an entire network of people. My weekends involve traveling all across the country to matches. Um, you know, it's a sport that no matter your age, your gender, what shape you're in, whatever, everybody can compete and everyone can do well. We're on an equal playing field. So it, it's literally an Olympic sport, right? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, for me, I just, I love the people. I love the competition. I love the camaraderie. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we're out there doing something that we love and not hurting anybody. So um, it's it's one of the safest sports. We insure people for $5 million a year for 12 bucks. That's how safe the sport is. Tracy, appreciate your time and your thoughts on this uh, proposed legislation. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day. And thanks, you as well. That's Tracy Wilson, the VP of Public Relations at Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. It's also the focus of our poll question today. Will this um, proposed freeze on importing, buying and selling handguns have a big impact on reducing gun violence here in Canada? Yes or no? Vote now at AM900CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900CHML. I'm sure your AC got a workout yesterday and the same will happen today. In fact, it was Sunday evening. And I think the outside temperature was about 22. But in our home, it felt like, or it was, the thermometer said it was 25. I thought, all right, the heck with this. I need to get to sleep. I got to turn on the AC. At least turn on the fan and, you know, close all the windows, get the mugginess out of the air. And that certainly helped. Had a great night's sleep. And then yesterday, AC's on pretty much all day. And the same today, and we'll get, as I mentioned, a bit of a break, bit of a break tomorrow. It's going to be humid, though. The high 23, it'll feel like 30, although it's going to be a gray day, cloudy, some showers, probably a thunderstorm. Thursday, though, that looks outstanding. Cloudy, I mean, well, cloudy, I'd love it to be sunny, but cloudy in 19 with a low of 8. The low tonight is 21. So, yes, we are in our first official heat wave of the year and it is or was the focus of our twitter poll question yesterday at am 900 chml are you ready for the heat 54 percent said no i'm not ready i hate this weather 46 percent said yes bring it on i love the heat anthony farnell is the chief meteorologist at global news and joins us now on good morning hamilton on 900 chml anthony welcome back to the show how's it going I'm uh, doing pretty well, and you know what? I, I am ready for the heat. I, I have been <laughs> preparing months for this, so uh, it was nice yesterday, and then today is going to be uh, a good day. I'm doing some work outside, uh, but uh, it, it's just it, we're kind of easing into it in a way because it isn't going to last uh, too much longer by tomorrow afternoon now already a cold front comes through yeah this is a, a, a two and a half or maybe even three day heat wave if you include um you know the the after effects of the mugginess that we're going to feel after today is this an anomaly do you do heat waves usually last longer than this uh they they do typically i mean it, it is still early in the season uh, on average uh, our first 30 degree day is about now it's about the end of may so for for that we're not we're not too far off uh, average. Uh, of course, April was was a month that that didn't <laughs> it didn't please too many people. It was one of those uh, spring months that just dragged on. We were all waiting for 
for for these warmer days and they just they took forever but uh in may we've kind of turned this corner and of course we had the the severe storms that that really uh brought not just the severe weather but the summer kind of to the forefront that oh we're we're into this and uh, then it cooled down and, and yeah now we're right back to to the heat and i think today uh even hotter than than what we had yesterday has Mother Nature just eliminated spring? Because it seems like over the years we've gone from, you mentioned it in April, a stretch of cool and mostly wet weather to instant heat and sometimes humidity as well. Is that is that climate change at work or are we just all misremembering how spring you, you know typically works? <laughs> I, I, it's, it's a great question. It's one that, uh, that I, I know it's tough to answer. And anything that, that's related to climate change, it's generally not so clear-cut where you can just say, yeah, yeah, that's definitely 100% climate change. This is the new normal. Uh, generally, weather is, is, is cyclical, and it's something that I, I think we, we've had to deal with a lot more lately where it stays cool and sometimes snowy even in April, and, and then all of a sudden we're, we're into this summer pattern. So that's that's been the case this year. I know it's been uh, several of the past years, at least uh, this decade or at least these last 15 years. So uh, it's something that, that I think the the later arrival of, of, of summer and then also it lasts longer. Uh, Octobers are, are now still some days 25, 26 degrees and sunny. So uh, we're just kind of shifting those seasons a bit. And, and that's something that, that I've been studying, but I'm still not convinced that it, it's climate change purely. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist at Global News. You can check him out at 530 and 6 on Global TV. Should we expect these kind of conditions for most of the summer? Is it going to be a hot and humid summer this year? I think humidity is something that we're going to have to deal with quite a bit uh, this summer. I'm still not convinced on on the heat, on it being necessarily uh, one of those scorcher summers. So that's something I'm I'm still working on the details. Our summer forecast is going to come out in in a couple of weeks. Uh, I I do expect that one thing that we've noticed is is the Atlantic is very warm. The water temperatures off the coast are, are well above seasonal. That has implications on the hurricane season, which officially starts tomorrow and we may get our first named storm within a few days down near the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, but that warm water also tends to, to favor late summer warmth. So this is something that we just talked about, the fact the seasons are shifting. Uh, but I think August, September are, are going to be likely very warm and sunny months. Uh, I'm not sure about June, July. I think we're closer to average for those months, and, and we are going to get into a, a, a rainier, stormier pattern. Uh, so, so yeah, we're going to need to keep an eye on, on the sky. And as early as, as tomorrow, I think those storms may, may form once again, and, and some of those could turn strong to severe. I know you're still putting all the uh, computations in your, uh, in your modules. Uh, when can we expect to see your summer forecast released? I think it's going to be in about a week and a half, two weeks. I, I tend to wait a little bit longer for, for those summer and winter forecasts just because uh, this is the time where you really see the patterns laying out in front of you. The jet stream uh, weakens as you get towards summer, and, and we're seeing now what's been a very wet, wet time in uh, Winnipeg. They're having one of their wettest springs on record. There's flooding there. There's storms forming every day uh, through the central northern plains. So when you see kind of wet out west, um, it, it tends to, 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 in some cases, stay that way, stay wet there. So um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm working on it, but uh, about a week and a half away. All right. We're waiting with bated breath. Can't wait to see it. Anthony, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. And I'm sure I'll be back when, when we do have that release. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thanks, Anthony. All right. Have a good morning. You too. Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist with Global News. By the way, the Weather Network predicting above normal temperatures and precipitation for southern Ontario as they release their summer forecast, saying a very warm and humid summer is anticipated across much of the province. Looking forward to what uh, Anthony Farnell comes up with in terms of his summer forecast. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton resident doing some great things in our community, including his latest venture, where he's lending out his canoes to people within the city so they can connect with nature. This is awesome. His name is Matt Thompson, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Matt, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. When and how did this all start? Well, the idea of it started just before COVID hit uh, in summer 2019. You know, I, I've lived in Hamilton for half my life, and I always felt like we were disconnected from our nature, from our water. And so, you know, this canoe came up for sale, and I was like, ah, I should pick this up. So I picked it up, and then I realized, you know, I don't live that far from the water. So connected with this guy named Stu. He's a retired steel worker up in Ancaster. He made carts. And I realized, well, I have a cart. I have a canoe. I live relatively close to the water. I should just, like, post this up on my, you know, on Facebook, Instagram, see who wants to take it out. So I had a couple friends take it out, and then COVID hit. And with COVID, you know, it was like, you got to stay six feet apart. And I was like, well, wait a second, this canoe is like 17 feet long. This is amazing, you know. Uh, and then with, with COVID, it was this people kind of, it was like friends of friends who would show up and be like, I really, I want to do this. I want to connect with my city. I also want to connect with my people, right? Because when COVID hit, we grew apart from people. And hopefully this was like me trying to help people connect back with their people. And as we come out of COVID, now it's, it's a mix of all of those things. And it just reminds me how great the people of Hamilton are. So from what I understand, you bought uh, a couple of canoes and you had to dive into some collectibles to pay for them? Yeah. So so my parents, my absolutely fantastic and amazing parents, uh, saved my cards, these these cards called magic cards, like um, Pokemon cards, from grade eight. And so they had them set aside. And then COVID hit. And they were like, hey, we're clearing out the basement. Uh, you know, here's some cards. And then another friend was like, hey, you know, like, you uh, you had these cards. Like, you're not using them anymore. You're not in grade eight. You should, you should just get rid of them. And as everything has gotten more expensive, uh, I was able to turn selling off all of those cards. They're all gone um, in, into canoes from this fantastic company from London who are good friends uh, called Novacraft. And they've just been so supportive. So turning one asset into another, right, and then helping people kind of what we do that's pretty cool so i understand that your canoes are booked like weeks in advance now yeah yeah we're looking you know if, if people do get in contact we're looking at july um with with hamilton being a place that is so close to nature and so close to water people are really excited about this idea and so i i do want people to get in contact it might take a bit of time um but you know when we look at the other options that exist in the city um, you know, like somewhere, you know, like the RBG, it's like $65 a person to take a canoe out for a couple of hours. And I don't know about you, but like, I don't, I can't see a family of four being able to like afford that. So let's do what we can. And hopefully I can, I can show people a way of engaging in the water that's affordable and equitable and kind of, it just, you know, it's kind of what we have to do. So if someone's listening right now, wants to jump into this, so to speak, how do they contact you? How do they book a canoe? 
Yeah, just drop me a message on Twitter or on Instagram. Um, my handle is F-O-R-T-E-L-G-I-N, Fort Elgin, uh, just the street that we live on. Drop me a message and I will get back to you. And I'm really excited to connect with people. Do people really believe that it's free and has anyone offered you money? So this is a funny thing is I think people, they, they understand it's free, but it's, it's not money they're offering. It's like, hey, I brought you some, you know, like fancy sodas. I brought you some donuts <laughs> from Granddad's. I brought you donuts from the donut stop. Like, like people are finding new places to bring donuts to me, which is mind blowing. Um, and I think that just speaks to the, the nature of people. They're kind. And in these really hard times, they want to say, like, thank you. And I appreciate that. That's great. Phenomenal job. An unbelievable endeavor. Uh, best of luck with it again. Fort Elgin, F-O-R-T-E-L-G-I-N, uh, on uh, Instagram to, uh, to book a canoe. Matt, appreciate your time. Good luck with us. You have a great day, and we'll talk again soon. You too. That's Matt Thompson. He is a resident of the Beasley neighborhood here in Hamilton and is helping you connect with nature and getting out on a canoe and enjoying the best that our city has to offer. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I want to do some vacationing now and again. You know, the world is almost back on its regular axis with the pandemic still a thing, but not as severe as it once was, and thankfully so. And to that end, many people are, well, they're taking revenge on the pandemic, and they're doing so by going on trips, taking excursions, whether it's within the country or, more often than not, outside the country. So what is revenge travel, and why are more and more people doing it? Well, let's ask the president at TripCentral.ca, Richard Vanderloop, who joins us once again here on Good Morning Hamilton. Richard, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm great. And the Go-Go's took me back 40 years. That's a fun <laughs> vacation song. Very much so. Um, <laughs> are, are more and more people coming to your office, contacting TripCentral.ca, saying, I'm taking revenge on the pandemic. Send me somewhere nice. Well, we had, we had a, a real massive pent-up demand of revenge hit us when the government travel restrictions were lifted in a few phases back in February and March. And um, so who we really felt that everybody came out of the woodwork that would normally be booked and was really just get me out of here and get me down south. And it was crazy busy, very difficult to handle, uh, you know, to go from almost stopped to somebody turning on a light switch like that is uh, it, it, it's quite a change. Now that the, now that the weather is better, uh, you know, we've seen sort of the normal, se- normal seasonal tail off, but people are, you know, they're booking to go to Europe, they're booking river cruises, they're booking cruises. Um, I was just out on a Star Clipper cruise in Greece and Turkey back a couple of weeks ago. Um, a lot of our staff are traveling as well. So, and we're noticing that what I think the revenge is, is just, you know, maybe in the past, um, because they haven't taken a trip, we're looking at, you know, better room categories, better hotels, upgrading if they can, uh, aircraft, you know. So I think because the savings have piled up and people haven't traveled, the ones that are wanting to get back are, are almost treating it like a special occasion. I would almost uh, hazard a guess that many people had uh, vouchers that they were given because trips were canceled and they were looking to cash those in over the, the first few weeks of when travel was, you know, a thing again. 
Yeah, there's still there's still a few lingering ones out there, but really, like a lot of those ended up getting refunded, um, like the the vast majority of them. But we did have a number still out there, and some that didn't do full refunds um, are still there, getting redeemed. Um, a lot of that actually was probably rebooked a little bit earlier than you know because those people they paid the money and they they wanted to have something to look forward to. So a lot of them were optimistic, looking you know much further forward into the future, and were rebooking. I think what's happening now is people are seeing, yeah, it's real, um, and you can see by the you know the volumes returning back to air travel that um, you know that the confidence is there. You know, we're still we're still not there though. We're still it's still passenger volumes are still down from 2019. You know, it, the, the the change going so quickly is what I think makes it difficult at the airports and what have you. But you know, as they get caught up, things will get better. And I think the thing people have to remember is that it's not over. I mean, these conditions could, you know, things could change. And so insurance is very important, understanding the cancellation terms and conditions. Um, it still takes longer to get things done, to get things booked. And just going for the absolute lowest fare that's 100% non-refundable isn't always the best choice for every situation. So it, it's something to think about. Richard Vanderloob is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Richard is the president at tripcentral.ca. Head over to the website and check out some of the cool packages that they have to offer. Speaking of packages, and you just kind of referenced it, uh, fewer people, um, I mean, uh, you're always going to have that group of people who are looking for the cheapest package. But my guess is that many people, because there's that pent-up demand, because they've had those savings, they might have a voucher or two, whatever the case, they're going, more of them are going all out and cashing out on those luxury tours or those vacation hotspots? Yeah, I think, no, I, when I say, when I say the cheapest price, I'm, I mean, you could have a, you know, a five-star hotel and take a non-refundable, highly restrictive or a cruise and choose a non-refundable deposit instead of a refundable deposit or an airfare that's the absolute lowest, but, you know, for a hundred dollars more, you have some flexibility and, and what have you. So those are the things I'm talking about. In terms of packaged vacations, I think the important thing for customers to know, too, is that when you buy it as a package, if something changes, the entire package changes. When you buy it in components, especially if you if they're diversely booked, then the conditions in order to make those changes or, or whatever, it, it's more difficult because you have to do it now with two or three different suppliers to make that happen. So I think, I think the attraction of packages is there. And for sure, people are going, um, not having traveled and savings having piled up and people not having spent money on, on travel um, are wanting to splurge a bit now, for sure. Mm-hmm. Where are the hotspots that revenge travelers are focusing on? Well, I would say everything that's old is new again. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's still the same old. I mean, really, things haven't changed that much because the airlines have, if, if anything, they, they cut some destinations with direct service. Um, so I, I think that, you know, what you're seeing is that we still aren't fully restored. Like, for example, there's no direct flight right now to Lima. My wife was booked to go on a, on a uh, Inca Trail tour before the pandemic. So I, I think the choices are still a little bit less than they were. So it's still, you know, the places where you can fly to nonstop in Europe and the Caribbean and into the U.S. that are still the big ones. And, of course, Canada. I mean, Canada is, is probably more popular to, to stay home this year and last year than any other time.
Uh, we've got about a minute left. You mentioned you went on a cruise in the uh, eastern Mediterranean. What was it like? What kind of restrictions were in place, if any? Um, well, I, yeah, I think it's a, it is quite a shock to see the number of people walking around without masks. And, um, it, it, you know, I, going from Canada to the Istanbul Grand Bazaar is probably the most shocking thing you could do in terms of going from nothing to crowds. <laughs> um, so it, it really feels strange. But, you know, and on the cruise, you know, the, the week starts out, you see a lot more uh, careful. And then by the end of the week, it, you know, a lot, a lot of people get more relaxed. Um, I think, you know, the big thing with the cruise is that it was a small ship and it wasn't anywhere near full occupancy. It was probably about 60%. We just had my director of operations was, uh, came back last week. It was about 60%. So they're not selling everything right full. Um, so it's a great experience because it's not like normal where, you know, the crowd lining up for the dining room before the dining room doors open, things like that. So I think it's a, it's almost a better experience than it was. Well, if uh, any of our listeners are interested in taking a trip somewhere, head over to tripcentral.ca, and uh, Richard and his team will take uh, care of you guys. Richard, thanks for your time today. Enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks so much. That's Richard Vanderloo, president at tripcentral.ca, talking about revenge travel. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.